everyone. I'm Denise Garth, Chief Strategy Officer at Majesco, and you're listening to the Future of Insurance Industry Leaders podcast series. Follow along as I interview the best and brightest leaders in the insurance industry and insure tech landscape to bring you the latest in digital transformation, innovation, industry trends, challenges, and opportunities, as well as next-gen technologies. We use our experience to anticipate what's next without losing sight of what's now. Stay tuned to find out your next now. Welcome everybody to today's podcast, Future of Insurance series. I am thrilled today to have Adrian Jones, the partner at HSCM Ventures joining me today. Welcome Adrian. Thanks for having me, Denise. Always good to speak with you. Yes, it's always good to speak with you. And it was great seeing you at InsureTech Hartford be with you as we both were recognized as InsureTech influencers. That was a great event and kind of fun to see everybody together. Yeah, I like the opportunity to share what I've learned about the industry with other people. And I appreciated Stacy and the team at uh, InsureTech Hartford for providing some recognition for that. So that, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. I always like to start off because not everybody always knows everybody. So if you could just kind of talk about your background with your roles at various different organizations, including insurers, reinsurers, VC, and InsureTech board member roles, and how has that shaped your view and perspective for the insurance industry and the shift and transformation that uh, we're on? There's a lot there, Denise. So happy to get started. I grew up in Indiana. When I came out of school, I spent 10 years in the consulting business, and that's actually how I got into reinsurance. I spent 10 years in the reinsurance business. But when I was in consulting, I was told uh, one day, get on a train, go down to Princeton, New Jersey, go to a particular address and ask for a particular person, and they'll tell you what you're going to do. And I said, okay, fine. And that's what I did. And that was my introduction to reinsurance uh, back in 2008. Then spent 10 years in the reinsurance business as head of strategy at Renaissance Re from 2010 to 2016 down in Bermuda. Uh, and then moved from there to Paris as head of strategy at Score Global PNC. Set up Score PNC Ventures while I was there. Uh, led that through the first fund and then came over here to Hudson Structured not quite two and a half years ago as a partner at HSCM Ventures. Uh, we are a venture capital firm uh, organization. We seek opportunities to invest in companies that are going to define the future of insurance. So that's who I am and what we do. You know, we have board roles on some of the, the companies that we're involved in. And so I, I see them that way. And I also try to spend a decent amount of time with incumbent insurers as well to understand what their needs are, what they're thinking about from a tech perspective, from a business model evolution perspective, uh, because I think that the future of insurance is, you know, there's going to be a, an element of disruption, but there's also going to be an element of cooperation. I want to try to be the bridge between young companies and old companies and create some of that cooperation. That really kind of ties into something that you and I've talked about where innovation, you know, continues to be a crucial priority for insurers. I, I know our annual research, um, it was in the top three behind just operational demands, but there's really two ways to look at innovation. One is more of an operational innovation where it's a little bit more tactical and it's helping to kind of do things better within the existing organization. And then there's the strategic innovation perspective where 
you're really trying to rethink how the business model is going to work, how you're going to do business, what technologies can really can be done in that. As you work with different organizations, what exciting areas of innovation are you seeing from both of those perspectives? And why is innovation so important for insurers to embrace? Well, let's talk about innovation for a second. When I was in this business for all of two days, somebody <laughs> sat me down and they said, don't use the I word. So what's what's the I word? Said uh, innovation. Said uh, interesting. Uh, why do people not like that term? Well, because people think that they innovate every single day, and so if you come in and start talking about innovation, they perceive that as, as you're saying they're not innovative, and in fact, you know that they, they think they are. And in many cases, there is a lot of innovation that happens on a day to day basis through this business. So it's a lot of that operational innovation, and I think that's incredibly important because having good, high quality operations, and of course, operations span the entire gamut of activities that an insurance company undertakes. Having good high quality operations is extremely important for the success of an insurance company. So we see people working on all sorts of things operationally. You throw a dart at any part of an organization here and you're, you're going to find some sort of operational innovation. Obviously, you know, underwriting gets a lot of attention. Underwriting is arguably the most critical function in a lot of insurance companies. And you know, that's the tip of the spear. That's where the data comes in. That's where the big decisions get made. That's where the assumed risk gets put on the book. That's where the portfolios get managed. But you also see it in claims. Claims in many ways is as important as underwriting because a typical insurance company is going to be paying 60 or 70 cents on the dollar that they bring in out the back door in claims. Uh, so being able to handle claims effectively, work with uh, customers, be able to recognize which claims are you know ought to be paid as quickly as possible and which ones are fraudulent, which ones need to be investigated further, making coverage decisions, all this sort of stuff also becomes very important. Uh, so we're seeing a lot of that. Obviously, we're seeing a lot of systems work, and I know you're quite familiar with that from uh, what Majesco does, but a lot of upgrading, enhancing of core systems, virtualization, and the move to the cloud. Uh, you know, all of these good things that people have been working on for a long time are all incredibly important as well. That's operations, right? I mean, it's, yeah. it's essentially every aspect of the business. From a strategic innovation perspective, I think the questions are being asked such as, uh, how do we meet the customer where the customer is most effectively? Uh, a number of incumbents have been very focused on one particular channel for a long time. And I think they're realizing that, in fact, they need to be omni-channel and they need to meet the customer wherever that customer is, whether that's a captive agent, an independent agent, an embedded offer, a direct offer, a call center, a website, whatever. Uh, so I, I think we're seeing a lot there. I think in the hard market, we're seeing a lot of companies that are rethinking what lines of business they want to be in and how and what sort of underwriting appetite they have, what sort of limits they're going to deploy, et cetera. And I think that's also uh, quite interesting and exciting, perhaps from a, a nerdier perspective. But uh, people getting in and out, that's what creates supply and demand. And that's what affects exactly, price. Exactly. So, you know, we think about that a lot uh, back when I was in the reinsurance business, you know, because if we were going to quota share that sort of stuff, you know, you're, you're subject to underlying rates. So I think there's a lot of strategic questions around that. What's the right portfolio of businesses? 
there's some insurers that are even asking questions like uh, how much should we be doing in terms of risk capital versus fee income? And so they're thinking about things like, should we be setting up a consultancy arm? Uh, should we be trying to sell data, things like that? So, you know, that, that's all exciting. And I think the hard market gives people an opportunity to rethink what sort of businesses they want to be in. So, you know, one of the things that you and I talked about is how I commented that we have been seeing big kind of events or things happening that really accelerate a rethinking about insurance and innovation insurance. You can kind of go back to the dot-com era, and then we had 9-11, then we had the financial crisis in 2007, 2008, then we saw the emergence of InsureTech, and then we saw COVID. Um, but you had another view that really innovation you've seen emerges about every 20 years with new products and business models, and in some ways that's kind of speeding up. Kind of kind of talk about your views on that. Yeah, you know, people talk about InsureTech 1.0 or 2.0 or whatever. I, I don't know what number we're in. Maybe it's 6.4. I have no clue because as long as there has been insurance, there has been technology. If you go back, at least in recent history, you could go back to the 1950s and 60s when mainframes became very common. At the same time, the NAIC had made some changes to monoline legislation to allow insurance companies to write multiple lines of business. And this is when things like homeowners multi-parallel developed, you know, the fact that homeowners covers both liability and property damage. A number of large companies took advantage of the power of mainframe computers, as well as the need for much larger limits dealing with much more complex businesses in the post-World War II era to grow very big. And they built very successful business models catering to these large companies that emerged. They did a good job catering to the, the mass market of large companies. But when the mini computer came along in the 1970s, actually 1964 is when the first one came out, but the 1970s is when they became popular. That's when you start seeing the emergence of specialists. And the specialist said, we don't need a mainframe. We don't need to have a giant room full of computers. We can have a computer that's the size of a large filing cabinet. And so that's what was considered a mini computer back in the day. And they did. And they started writing specialist business that the large incumbents were not handling as effectively. And so you saw a whole crop of businesses that emerged there, but that doesn't mean they, they dispatched with the previous successful companies. They grew and adapted over time. Then in the 1990s, you had Lotus 1, 2, 3, the early spreadsheet, along with the personal computer. And the joke at the time was all that you needed was a computer, a fax line, two men and a dog and a billion dollars, and you could set up a reinsurer down in Bermuda. And that's when you had a number of very successful Bermuda companies that emerged. And they took advantage of that technology. And of course, now we all use it, um, but they were some of the first to really use its power. Of course, they said, all we need is a personal computer. We don't, we don't even need a, a computer system like a mini computer. And now here we are 20 years later in the 2010s and 2020s. And I think we're seeing the same thing because of cloud, mobile, natural language processing, AI, and of course now uh, generative AI. So we're in another one of these periods, and I think that there are going to be a lot of interesting companies that emerge out of this period, some of which... I think there'll be household names in a few years, maybe a few in reinsurance terms, I should say. So that's like 20 in human terms. Uh, but in 20 years, there may be companies that are very young today that, that everybody knows and thinks about. I don't know who they are, but I think it's a pretty exciting time. I couldn't agree more. The current market conditions, the macroeconomic conditions with rising inflation and a potential recession is impacting, to some extent, insure tech uh, flow of money, but it's also driving a lot of M&A. I think it's also kind of shifting 
with regard to, it can be about growth, but it's got to be also about some profitability now and at least cash flow positive. What are you seeing? Do you see this kind of continuing and accelerating where instead of just a focus on growth at all costs to more of a profitability, do you see that impacting valuations? How is it going to impact the flow of money and M&A? And who will be the buyers of the insure tax? You know, I'm beginning to see obviously technology companies like Majesco, we're buying some of them as well as some of our peers. But I'm also seeing these insure techs being bought by some of the insurers or reinsurers as well. What do you kind of see? There's a lot there. So let me try to break it down in pieces. So let's start at the very end, which is uh, what does the exit environment look like? I believe that the insurance business is a fundamentally conservative business that looks for others to prove technologies for them. And once those technologies are proven, then the industry adopts them in a big way. There is very little value to be gained by being the first insurer to do something. In fact, there's a lot of value to be lost because insurance is a business of not messing up. It's a business of not writing bad policies. Uh, It's a business of of having at least uh, pretty good operations. And so there's a high risk that you mess up if you're the first one to go out and try something. There is no technology, I believe, that is absolutely mission critical that any insurance company be the best at it and better than anybody else. That is not true for some sectors of the economy. Take Google, for example. It is mission critical that Google figures out generative AI and uh, technologies like ChatGPT. I don't think that there are technologies like that in insurance. I think in insurance, though, we have to be really good at everything, even if we don't have to be perfect or industry leading at any one thing. So therefore, I think you've seen $50 billion of venture capital come into the sector, up from basically zero in 2014 and previous. There are now 100,000 people that work in the insurtech sector directly for insurtechs, according to some numbers that I added up, and that's only for 400 companies. I quit after 400. So there is an enormous amount of capital, an enormous number of people, an enormous number of new technologies, and they are all trying to figure out how do we do this better for the benefit of insurers. Uh, And those technologies which work and the companies that prove that they can work, I think have very bright futures because this is a huge industry. Uh, The average American consumer family spends about $8,000 a year on insurance, and that doesn't even include um, retirement insurance uh, or employment paid health insurance. It's an industry that employs 2.9 million Americans. It's about 3% of GDP on a value-added basis. So this is an enormous industry. And when the industry decides to adopt some sort of tech, it does it in a really big way. And that, I think, is what's really exciting for today's early innovators who are out proving these technologies. You know, you asked a question about the funding environment as well. According to the Gallagher CB Insights numbers, there was $1.4 billion in funding last quarter for InsureTech. That's about consistent with what it was kind of 2018, 2019. There were 106 deals, which is again, consistent with 2018, 2019. People looked to 21 because 21 was such a massive year. You know, you had 5 billion uh, in a couple of quarters of 21. And of course, now we're down to 1.4 billion. But still 1.4 billion is enormous. It's far more than you saw essentially in any quarter until 2015 or 16. So it is still a massive amount of activity that's happening in the space. Frankly, that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. I read that same report yesterday and uh, they talked about, you know, that one year being an anomaly because there was so much going on in that year. But it's been, if you take that anomaly out, it's really been a, a gradual increase since 2018 
which is really good news, I think, for the industry. Now, there's one caveat to that. Well, there's a couple, but I think the most notable is the companies that are trying to raise today are trying to raise much larger sums than they were in 2018, because on average, insure tech companies are more mature today. Uh, they've got bigger businesses, and in many cases, they're trying to raise more money. So there is a bit of a game of musical chairs going on. And I think in some cases, some companies are being left without a seat, meaning they're just not able to raise the funds that they need at the price they want. Uh, and so therefore, we are seeing an uptick in M&A. Uh, if people read FT Partners and SureTech Almanac, uh, which is on the FT Partners website, it's it's also a great read. And they reported that in the first quarter, there were 34 uh, M&A deals. And in terms of dollar value disclosed, it actually already eclipses 2022. So we've seen an uptick in M&A. And I think a lot of that uptick is from companies who say, you know, now's the time to be partnered with somebody who's a little bigger, who has a little bit more resource for us to work with. And I think part of that is happening because of this game of musical chairs that, that is, in fact, happening. One of the things we talked about, Adrian, and I know it was a conversation last week at InsureTech Hartford was really talking about how insurance companies who are investing in technology, and in particular around data and analytics, are much better prepared operationally and strategically to react to the market shifts and opportunities. I think that it just so happens, you know, because I live in Omaha and we are shareholders of Berkshire Hathaway, over the weekend, their shareholder meeting, even uh, Jane and Warren Buffett kind of commented about Geico and that they are kind of behind the eight ball, so to speak, in terms of investment in telematics, which is heavily driven by data and analytics as compared to Progressive. And I think that's a, and Progressive's been investing for a long period of time. I think that's an example, the ability to kind of be potentially operationally and strategically prepared for when the market shift, because the market shift now is accelerating towards more telematic and data and analytics driven uh, types of insurance. So kind of give your perspectives on that and how insurers should look at themselves. We talked about as technology companies who sell insurance or vice versa. I mean, there's a debate about that as well, but just that continued investment more strategically that's going to position you. It gets back a little bit to what I said earlier. As an insurance company, it's not necessary to be the absolute best at any one technology, but it is important to maintain investments in technology such that a company has a solid tech stack, whether that's uh, starting with you know your, your cloud infrastructure, your core systems, or it's talking about newer technologies like telematics and automotive. I remember the first time that I saw a telematics device, I had never heard of the term before, but it was actually my second day when I was down at Renry. Uh, obviously, this was a bit of a big day for me, but uh, Glenn Renwick came. Uh, he was the CEO of Progressive at the time, and he had, he had a snapshot, and he said, here's how this little doohickey works, and here's what it does, and here's how it's going to enable us to do all sorts of interesting things in the auto insurance market. And I said, wow, this is a really interesting technology. Now, I think there have been a lot of predictions that in the 13 years since then, we would be much farther in terms of telematics penetration. The percentage of connected cars in most major markets is still well less than 20%. And I confess that I don't even have a telematics policy myself, even though my insurer has offered me one, in part because I don't really want to have to be responsible for making sure that my phone is always having the proper settings in order to use the telematics 
uh, when I'm driving. So, you know, telematics is a good example of a technology where, again, it's not necessary to be the best, but it is necessary to have a real solid understanding of what it's doing, why it's being used, and how, because it does create the risk of being adversely selected and left behind. Um, but it's not just telematics, it's any sort of major technology which affects the insurance business that, that I think people need to make sure that they're staying on top of how changes are actually happening. Yeah. And, you know, data and analytics obviously is a big factor that's reshaping technology and insurance, particularly with trusted data choices. But you kind of talked about early on, you know, the whole concept of chat GPT and this whole use of generative AI, advanced AI machine learning, and the excitement around chat GPT is really exploding. I love this analogy. You shared this is one of the most exciting times since the introduction of the internet. Why is that? And why is it well suited for insurance, this whole chat GPT and AI machine learning? I remember the first time I used Google. And if you remember back in the day, your choices were Yahoo, AltaVista, Ask Jeeves, and a few other sites, which were much more interested in trying to sell you online dating services than they were trying to give you a good search experience. And frankly, that was kind of annoying when I was trying to find information on the internet sitting in the office. And when Google came along and it not only had a great search, but it had nothing on its homepage except a blank page uh, and a box for searching, uh, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And I think I switched over from Yahoo that day. And when I first saw ChatGPT in its version three that was widely released to the public, I thought, oh my gosh, this is a technology like Google. And I haven't seen something like it since uh, you know 2002. I think it's really interesting, but I think we're only just beginning to think about how it can be used in the insurance business. I have definitely seen some examples of either uh, chat GPT or other forms of generative AI being used uh, in the space. One is, for example, listening to a call center conversation and recommending the script to the call center agent so that the agent isn't having to search through a bunch of different files and put the consumer on hold for five minutes. The AI can just make suggestions uh, right off the bat. We've seen people starting to use it for things like agent is going into try to pitch a customer and the agent wants to have the best possible pitch for that customer. The chatbot can potentially recommend uh, different products that could be sold and different ways to think about the liability that that customer might have to best prepare that agent for that particular customer and, and maybe even bring some information in about that customer's business, for example. There are implementations going on right now where people are thinking about using it in claims where uh, it would perhaps generate a claims response after reading the claim and it would say, you know, no, an infestation of mice is not covered because that's considered a maintenance issue. And by the way, here's the relevant clause in your contract of insurance. So we're starting to see things like that that are happening often still with a human in the loop because models are subject to well-known flaws at InsurTech Hartford, we were talking about this idea of hallucination, um, which is where you can kind of force the model to say something that it doesn't really want to and shouldn't be saying. And so that there are flaws and there are things that have to be worked through. So humans are still going to be in the loop. They're not going to be replaced, uh, at least not in the short term. But over the long term, I think it's got all sorts of really interesting implications that people are just starting to figure out. We're starting to use, we call it Majesco GPT. We're just on the beginning of using it. We just announced it in our uh, spring release of our products. 
And we're really focused on how it can really simplify some of the complexity, you know, for our customers who are using our, our core systems. And we really kind of called it intelligent core now so that we can really improve that user experience, help with that complexity. But to your point, it's still going to be providing more insights and information for people to make better decisions even within there. So I think that it's an exciting time. And I think you're right. It is one of the most exciting times since the introduction of the internet because the possibilities are potentially limitless. I think that we have to improve the cognition that exists in a lot of insurance systems, whether we're talking agency management systems, the link between agencies and carriers or carriers own systems. There's a lot of opportunities to make those systems more cognitive. So it's exciting to hear what Majesco is working on there. And I think it's something that people throughout the industry need to be focused on. Culturally, insurers need to change their mindset. Talked a lot about a lot of the innovation, a lot of where investment is going into technology, uh, the exciting times of some of the, the new technologies emerging. But really to take advantage of all of that, we kind of talked about old thinking will not get you where you need to be. How do insurers bring in that new thinking? How do they embrace it? And, and what kind of advice would you give to them? Well, the challenge is there's been a long line of people who have come into the industry who uh, don't really understand the industry and they look at it and they say, this is an old and efficient paper-driven business and you guys are stupid for all the ways that you do things here, blah, blah, blah. And most insurance companies have reasonably strong organ rejection systems that uh, spit out that sort of individual fairly quickly. Uh, this is also something that I was warned about early on in my career in this business. And to a degree, they're right. Insurance is different. There are some pretty weird things about insurance here. You know, we don't know our cost of goods sold when we sell our policies, for example. That's only revealed much later. It's a lot of consumer behavior that factors into insurance. Having a policy of insurance can change the way that consumers behave, which affects the risk, which affects the price. So there's lots of things which are different about this business. So, you know, my suggestion, I think, is less around what organizations should do and more around what individuals can do. I think it's it boils down to doing what you're doing right now, which is being a student of the industry. I, I try to read as much as I can about the history as well as the future and the present of insurance, try to understand various business models, try to meet people that are coming from different corners of the industry. Uh, because I think the more that one knows about the industry, the more that one can think through in their own organization, what are some of the things that we can do in order to drive this business forward? And, and I think that they'll find no shortage of things to do. But in order to do that in a credible way, it's important to understand why the industry is the way it is. And what are some of the things about the industry that are just different and they're fundamental to the industry and they're not going to change? And if you try to change them, you're going to have some problems. So that's my advice to people. Be a student of the industry. Read, listen, do as much as you can in order to understand why it works the way it works. And then you'll be much more effective at changing it. Really great advice. You know, it's an interesting industry. And I, I love that, how we kind of kick people back out who really try to come in and disrupt it, but really don't understand some of the fundamentals from a financial standpoint. Great, great thought. So one of the things I like to do is kind of ending my podcast with is ask everybody to pick one word or phrase to describe the future of insurance and what would it be in not to put any pressure on you, Adrian, but we've only had, out of almost 80 podcasts, we've only had four or five uh, duplicates. So what word or phrase would you use and why? I haven't listened to all 80, so at the risk of throwing out a duplicate, I think that a lot of the future of insurance comes down to data. 
if I think of the really high quality insurance operations that I've seen over the course of my career as a consultant, as a reinsurer, as someone who, as a reinsurer, you know, you spend a lot of time working with a lot of primary companies around the world. And now as a venture capitalist, data is a fundamental difference. And it's data that exists throughout the organization in real time or as close to real time as possible that everyone in the organization has access to and that people are trained in what the data is, why it is the way it is, and how they can use it. That just becomes extremely important because that's what enables one to make much more rapid decisions in a time of shocks, which our industry is constantly exposed to shocks, whether that's natural disasters or inflation or you know very large losses. Uh, so, you know, think about inflation. Think about who was able to increase prices faster and recognize that inflation was not going to be transient, but it was going to be here to stay. I would argue in many cases, it's the companies that had better, faster data so that they could make decisions more rapidly and make them at lower levels of the organization. I hate the saying data is the new oil because in many ways, data is actually friction. Uh, data is hard to gather. Data is hard to present. Data can be hard to understand. But Investments in data, I think for large for, for any sort of incumbent organization and for startups, I think are very important. And I think the company that has the best data and that can use it most effectively is going to be the winning company going forward. But now I say winning company, but actually there's many winners in insurance. Insurance is not a winner take all business, unlike uh, many other businesses. But yeah, I, I think it just it comes down to data. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And winner does take all, but there's lots of winners in this industry because there's lots of different products, different segments, different needs. So there's a lot of opportunity for people who really do focus in on that data. And I don't think we had somebody just talk about it in those terms, Adrian. So I think you're good. All right, good. I don't want anybody calling me up and saying that uh, I stole their idea or their word. <laughs> Well, Adrian, as always, it's great connecting with you. I'm looking forward to our, our next conversations around some of the stuff that's happening in the market and some of the emerging insurtechs. And I'm sure I'll see you at InsureTech Insights here in June. I always enjoy hearing what you have to say, Denise, and uh, I'll see you in over at the Javits Center very soon. Okay, sounds great. Thanks, Adrian. Have a great day. Right. Thanks. That's it for this week's episode of Future of Insurance Industry Leaders podcast. Subscribe to our market-leading podcast series available wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you for listening and be sure to tune in the next time.